Hey, hey, what's up, party people? Happy Sunday, and as always, it is a damn good day to have a damn good day. In one of our recent podcasts, I heard a guest talk about your say-to-do ratio. How many times when you say you're gonna do something, you actually follow up and do it? This can be with every aspect of your life. If it means you're gonna hop on a call at seven o'clock, do you do it? If it means you're gonna pick up your friend from work, do you do it? How many times do you follow through with the things you do? Obviously, we wanna try to achieve a 100% success rate, but you can tell a lot about somebody's character based on how high their say-to-do ratio is. I think it's a good practice to always stick to your word and try to do everything that you say you're going to do and make it so ingrained into your brain that you refuse to not get it done. And speaking of someone with a phenomenal say-to-do ratio, we got Jeff Fenster on the podcast today, and I am so excited because I've been trying to get him on for a while now. Let me tell you a little bit about Jeff. Jeff Fenster is a pioneer in the quick-serve restaurant category. Jeff is the founder of the rapidly expanding SoCal-based superfood brand called Everbowl, which he established in 2016. Everbowl is a nationally recognized as a rising star within the sector, making healthy superfoods accessible and affordable for everyone. As part of successfully scaling the brand, Fenster has spearheaded the implementation of innovative processes to streamline Everbowl's revenue-driving efficiencies in areas including operations, procurement, supply, chain and construction. Jeff is also the founder of Superfuel Coffee as well as the founder of We Build Stuff. Because of Jeff's outstanding serial entrepreneur resume, he actually got chosen as a Forbes instructor and works with Forbes teaching and training people how to build a business. What I love about Jeff is just how open he is about his struggles and the ups and downs of the entire journey of building a business. I mean, when you talk to him, you're just like, wow, wow, you just can't stop but just be an envy of his nonstop work ethic and hustle and belief in himself based on these core values. So I am so excited for you guys to listen to this podcast. Make sure you have your pen and paper out because this one is going to be unbelievable. In this episode, we discuss how to put yourself in a position to grow, how to significantly cut the cost related to franchising your business, time management skills to manage multiple businesses at once, and business theory related to his experience as a Forbes instructor. As always, you can watch this podcast with Jeff and I live on YouTube. And without further ado, episode 87 with Jeff Fenster. Let's jump into it. Live Jeff Fenster is in the building. What up, Jeff? How you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. Thank you so much for having me. It's I've been excited to do this interview and, and podcast with you ever since we connected. So truly, thank you for having me. Excited to be on today. Dude, I have been following your journey and I gotta say real quick, I am an acai bowl fanatic. <laughs> Probably the number one acai bowler in the LA County. I, I rate them. I love them. And when I see Everbowl and what you guys are doing with some of the greatest bowls on the planet, <laughs> I'm like, dude, I got to find out the brain behind making that happen. So it's, it's an honor. It's an honor well, and privilege to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. That means so much. And I, I will challenge you for the number one acai bowler because I'm gonna, I, I think I have the, the title there, but I love challengers and we'll have to have an acai bowl off at some point. <laughs> Dude, so you're a serial entrepreneur. You've, you've started multiple you know, companies. You're in the trenches. You're doing your own thing. 
And, you know, on the outside looking in, it seems like you've kind of been through the gauntlet of life. Like you've probably had so many ups and downs and I'm sure that your story is, is quite the, the journey. I would imagine it's something like Lord of the Rings. (laughs) What did, uh, where did this whole thing start for you? I mean, like post-college, where did, uh, were you always an entrepreneur? Did you have a few failed businesses? Like where were those early days like? So it's funny you say that. So it actually started with me in, after I graduated uh, University of Arizona in 2004, I went to law school to be a sports agent. And I had a job lined up to be a sports agent with Lee Steinberg Sports Agency and was all excited to do that. That's what I thought I wanted to be and do with my career. Um, back in the early 2000s, the word entrepreneur was not sexy. Uh, it's not like it is today. Um, it was more like entrepreneurs were kind of looked at negatively because everyone figured you're going to fail and was like, go get a real job. And um, do something that's going to be sustainable and have longevity. And it was really go work for, for a big company for 30, 40 years, or, you know, be a lawyer, be a doctor, do, do one of those things. So, you know, really, I never really thought about entrepreneurship. I mean, I had interned a ton and had a bunch of mentors growing up. I'd been around so much business, uh, but I was a diehard sports fan. And I thought since I couldn't be a professional athlete, let me be a sports agent, stay connected to the game, utilize my sales experience and, and skills. Cause I think I'm, I, I have, uh, I excel in sales and that was kind of what I thought I was going to do. And then my third year of law school, I got engaged and we have a, we had a little baby daughter and I realized I didn't want to travel the world taking care of grownups and I'd rather be home and raise my own children. Um, so when I graduated law school, I had no idea what I was going to do. I did not want to be a lawyer. Wasn't going to do the sports agency thing and have just accrued six figures in law school loans and was engaged and um, <laughs> and had a kid things that, and had a kid right and I was twenty I was twenty four at the time um, so because I graduated undergrad at, at twenty one and law school at twenty four so I really wasn't sure what the hell I was going to do and a friend of mine worked at ADP which was a payroll company and said look while you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with yourself why don't you come sell payroll services because they're hiring, you'll make some good money, you're good in sales, you know a lot of people in business. Um, and so I said, you know what, that's not a bad idea. So I, I went and applied for the job. And it was funny, because I'm mostly applying against college graduates. So they put me through an extra interview, because they're like, why does someone with a law degree want to work as a sales rep at ADP making $38,000 a year, plus commission? And I said, listen, I don't know what I want to do. But I know I'm good in sales. I know a lot of people in business. And this is what I want to do for now. So they hired me. And Fortunately, in my first six months there, I was the number one sales rep in the country, first to make Presence Club and built a big ego and thought I was the shit and was really proud of myself patting my own back. Um, But I had earned a big bonus that was supposed to come at the end of the year in in January of 2008. Um, Was it 2008? Yeah, 2008. I went to my boss and said, I'd like my my bonus. And they said, yeah, you earned it, but you don't get it till the end of the fiscal year, which is the end of June. You'll get it the week of July. And I had just bought a house, literally me and my fiance, we had just moved in and we were, we were moving in in February. Um, and I just bought a house and was engaged and law school dead and all those things I told you. And I said, no, listen, I really need that $17,000. Um, what do I need to do to get it? And they said nothing. And I was like, but I earned it. And they said, yeah, but those are annual goals. Most people don't earn them until May, June. So they don't have to wait very long. You just earned it really early. So unfortunately, there's nothing we can do. And being 24 and full of myself, I threatened to quit if they didn't give it to me. Um, kind of in a heated moment of uh, not thinking, really. It was one of those things when I went home that night, I was like, what the hell did I do? Um, <laughs> but I threatened to quit in the meeting with my superior. And the next day I came in and they said, sorry, Jeff, if you want to quit, you can quit, but you can't have it. 
So I went home and I told my fiance, I want to sell the house we just bought. I want to move in with my mom and dad. And I want to start my own payroll company because F them. And uh, fortunately, my fiance at the time, she was uh, very supportive and said, look, if that's what you want to do, let's do it. So literally the very next day I quit, sold my house, moved in with my mom and dad and my fiance and daughter. And with a buddy, started a payroll company out of my mom's kitchen called iChex and uh, really just went after ADP. And, and my whole pitch in life was to steal every single client they had um, because I knew their business. I knew how to sell it. I was obviously very successful doing it. And I was really upset over the 17 grand. And so that's how I started my first entrepreneurial journey. I started it out of my mom's kitchen. That's incredible. What a background. <laughs> Very descriptive. You, you just hit all the stages. With iCheck, so you're building this payroll company. There's, I'm assuming there's got to be a big software component to that. Was your buddy a software guy or did, what was that no. like? No, he was in sales. So I actually got him the job at ADP in sales as well. So we were two sales guys who had no idea what to do. So, um, and back then there was no real social media. I mean, uh, MySpace was still kind of a thing and uh, Napster was a thing. I mean, it was it was a while ago. Um, and really, I didn't really know what to do. So we went to Google and the internet and Yahoo and typed in payroll, how to process payroll from home, how to process payroll for your own business, how to process payroll for clients. And there was a couple little softwares out there that you could license. So we relicensed the third party technology. And uh, me and my, my partner, Brian, he did, we decided that I was the better salesman. So he was going to do the operations and I was going to do the sales side. And um, that's how it started. And literally we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, we had no clue how to process payroll. We had no clue how to start and run a business. Um, but we both were hungry and I knew I could get clients and I figured, you know what? It can't be rocket science. I mean, this has been going at payrolls, payroll, the, the rules are written somewhere. We worst case, we'll do it by hand if there's no technology and really computers weren't as ingrained in te- in business as they are today. Most people were still fax. I mean, we were receiving fax orders for payroll. We were receiving call-ins like, Hi, you want ready to process your payroll? Please tell me your employees and your hours. Like it was really done manually. Um, and so that was kind of like the aha moment, which was, hey, you know what? We could spin this on the technology side and try to see what we can do. So iChecks uh, started as just like a standard regular payroll business. We uh, migrated the company upstream and converted it into a company called Canopy HR, which was focused more as a full, fully integrated single database HRIS platform where our sales pitch was, a single database where when an employee applies, their information stays there. So all of your departments will talk to each other and you don't have to have six filing cabinets with information on your employees. And it was kind of like the birthing of payroll and HR moving over to the internet. And uh, fortunately our timing was good. And, and so we were really able to focus as one of the first single database HRIS platforms. And we were able to grow nationwide and have some pretty nice sized clients. And we scaled and grew it, raised private equity from two different PE firms and ultimately sold the company in 2011 to a company in Florida. Wow. So it was a yeah. complete, so you would consider that a complete success? No. Um, it's funny. I, uh, I would tell you that I got my MBA through the School of Hard Knocks during that journey because as a 24-year-old, I was taken advantage of by the two PE firms since I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we sold the company for it was a seven figure exit. Um, I made some money, but I didn't make what I should have made. And, um, I learned a lot. I got taken advantage of, I got my company stolen from me in the sense that we sold and it wasn't my decision to sell when we sold or my partners. Um, and ultimately I wouldn't trade any bit of it because I used everything I learned from that experience. Plus, I mean, I made money and, um, you know, I, had some success and I, I learned, which yeah, is but it, it was your thing. baby and it was your baby and you didn't, you know, 
it was my baby and it got stolen from me and, and it's hard it was an emotional thing um i also learned i mean i made a ton of mistakes as a ceo as a young entrepreneur not knowing what i was doing making some of the basics you know the mistakes the basic mistakes that just you just don't know until you know um right. and i learned from it and and the key is from everything wins and losses learn from them and that was the one thing i will say that i i'm thankful i was able to look back on and do um it took my partner a few extra years to kind of get over that he got job after that and uh had to he was real get away salty. from he was salty yeah but then finally he, he it wore off and for me i mean i learned a bunch during that period and jumped right into my next ventures and um, that's kind of when I realized that I'm not a lifer in any industry. Um, I'm a three to five year guy. And, and then I really try to focus on something new and um, identifying what kind of an entrepreneur you are. And I think now more than ever with this rage in entrepreneurship and there's colleges and degrees in entrepreneurship and online courses, and it's sexy now. And it's, it's really exciting. Um, understanding what kind of an entrepreneur you are, because it's kind of like saying you're a doctor. You know, oh, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. That's cool. What kind are you? And, and I mean that because a doctor could be a heart surgeon or a doctor can be an orthopedist and they, they do very different things. And you wouldn't go to an orthopedist for heart surgery and you wouldn't go to a heart surgeon for a torn shoulder. So uh, same thing with entrepreneurs, right? I'm a serial entrepreneur. And, and, you know, my wife will jokingly say I'm a degenerative entrepreneur because <laughs> I love startups too much. Um, I love going from nothing, ideas. Let's get in a room. Let's have an idea and let's build something from scratch and scale it, build initial processes, get momentum, create vision and drive. But there's a point where the company gets to optimization and, and it's no longer in that zero to acceleration part. Now it's streamlining, it's, minu it's focusing on minutia, it's really optimizing each department with, with standardized you know, SOPs again and again and again, and really mind, uh, taking a company from let's say eight figures to nine figures or nine figures to 10 figures. That kind of growth, and that kind of scale is a different stage in the company. That's not who I am. So the good thing is at iChex, although I got my business stolen from me, I'll tell you at the time I say, you know what, they took advantage of me, they stole it from me. But in reality, they identified something in me that I didn't, which is the company outgrew my ability as a CEO at the time. And my ego didn't want to hear that. But the, the truth is they recognize that. So while I have uh, hard feelings towards them, and I still do, just because I think it could have been handled differently. I don't, I know I, I forgive them in the sense that they did what was best for iChecks or Canopy HR at the time, which was, I wasn't equipped to take us to the next level at that period. Wow. And, and that, that's that, a good thing. That takes so much for you to be able to just recognize that and say that. Well, I mean, it's important because a lot of times we don't want to look in the mirror, right. And, and understand that, that, yeah, I'm a startup entrepreneur, but my partner, or, or someone else, right? My CFO today at, at, at Everbull or my COO at Everbull, they're entrepreneurs, but they're not startup entrepreneurs. They're not the one who's going to start the company. They're going to join as a number two, three, four and help build the company from nothing in departments with no processes. But they're not the person who would come up with the idea and start the business from scratch. They're not the founder, right? They're an entrepreneurial COO, an entrepreneurial CFO. They like the startup culture. And that's okay. And that's what I mean by identifying what kind of an entrepreneur you are. It's so important to look in the mirror and be honest and humble and say, who am I? What are my strengths? And if you're a great number two, number three, number four, number eight, number 20, join a team and be that person. Because like any sports team, and I use a lot of analogies, you need to have every position. And you can't always have, a lot of entrepreneurs fail because they try to be the founding entrepreneur or the CEO. And that role, that responsibility is different than someone else in the company, right? Steve Jobs is the face of, was, well, was the face of Apple. 
but that's what he was equipped to do, right? He probably wasn't in there doing all of the back-end coding and, and, and work because that's probably not where his best skill sets were. It's kind of like that in the sense. So um, I know I digress because I got onto this little topic, but it's, it's meaningful to me, it. especially right it. now. But it's about understanding what kind of entrepreneur you are, especially to your audience, which is people who are out there. If you find that you're hitting roadblocks because you can't raise capital, you can't great, uh, attract the right talent around you, you can't create the vision or you don't see the vision of where you want to go, but you're really good at executing, then that's fine. So attract the right people around you. And there's a saying I use now in, in all of my companies, and it's, I want to be the dumbest guy in the room. And what I mean by that is, is I want to surround myself with rock stars and people who are better at everything than me in the areas that I'm not the best at. I'm good at sales. I'm good at being a CEO, which means I'm good at investor relations, raising capital, creating a vision, starting, the, you know, starting from scratch and attracting talent. But I'm not great at operations. I'm not great at financial, uh, the financial side of the business. I'm not great at technology. So I attract world-class people in to do those things because they're better at it than me and I give them the freedom to be excellent, I step out of their way and I say, okay, like my chief development officer, he's in charge of our culture. Um, there's two rules at Everbowl, make friends and have fun. That's it. <laughs> those are the two rules at Everbowl. Every single one of our 400 plus employees know those rules. That's the foundation of our company. But I said to Brian, I'm not good at hiring, developing and training people. That's just not my, my skill. So what I want you to do is create a culture around that. Well, he's amazing at this. He's one of the best in the country. He came from Trader Joe's. He opened a ton of stores for Trader Joe's. He helped build their culture. So he took my two principles of make friends and have fun, created Everbowl University and created the entire framework with which we develop our culture, which you'll feel in all of our stores. So I gave him the direction. I said, point the ship this way and get us there however you see fit. But I don't tell him how to do it. And a lot of entrepreneurs and young, not in age, but young and experienced make the mistake of trying to dictate how everything is done because they take too much control. And they're control freaks. And they're like, no, it has to be done this way. Well, world-class talent doesn't want to be told how to be excellent at what they do, right? We're all good at what we're good at. And if you're great at something, it's because you know how to do it. So what I learned at iChecks as well, which now I, I sell out today, is standing out of the way of my talent and not pushing them out of the company, but actually embracing them, letting them inject their DNA into the organization, letting them have their ideas and visions and, and processes created and flourish. And it makes them feel part of our team and it allows us to significantly accelerate and it truly allows us to attract a world-class team of entrepreneurial minded people. Do you feel like at some degree you could get the best coaching in the world? You could be told exactly what you need to do step-by-step, step, but at some degree you just have to fail and learn and feel the burn and just, because that's, you know, like you said, that ego gets in the way and you just tell people like, yeah, so what? It's not going to happen to me, but when you're young yes. and you get taken advantage of and you make those silly mistakes with investors and you, and you give away that equity and you do those things that burn in the long run, <laughs> it's like you just you feel that. Do you feel like you almost have to learn that way? I mean, I do. I think you can teach a kid how to swim in a textbook and you can tell someone how to swim, but until they get into the water and experience what it feels like, they can't swim. Um, and and I, you know, I, it's funny today, just randomly already posted on my story on Instagram, a quote from Albert Einstein, which is, if you can't explain something to a six-year-old, you don't really understand it at all. Um, but I feel like you can learn so much from toddlers. And if anyone who's trying to figure things out goes back to just understanding, look at a child learn to walk. They fall, they get up, they fall, they get up, they fall, and eventually they walk. They don't quit. They don't give up because they fell three times or six times. Look at them learn to swim. Look at them learn to make friends. Look at them learn to play any sport or ride a bike or do any of those things that, that they need to learn 
they go through failures till they succeed. And as adults, we stop at a failure thinking we failed. And failures aren't failures, they're lessons. And if you switch your mindset to go, you know what, I didn't fail, I learned. And yeah, it didn't, wasn't the result I wanted. So what? So I learned 100 times until I got it right. Big deal, right? It's only a failure when you quit. And as adults, we quit too early because we expect us to hit a home run the first time out. Well, that doesn't really happen all that often. And if it does, that's great. Congratulations. But keep going. Like, the game's not over. You're still alive. It's still your journey. And it doesn't really – the end result is, is not the focus. It's, it's truly the steps you take because success – to me is a formula. It's formulaic. I've had multiple exits out of companies. I've, I've made millions of dollars in business. I've had a ton of wins and I've had a ton of losses. And I can tell you, if I look back and look at everything I've ever done, success is formulaic. If there's a, there's a specific process that if you take it, you will be successful. You might not be successful exactly how you thought it was going to be day one. Uh, that might not end up happening, but over the long run, you will find success and you'll pivot right? You'll continue to keep pivoting and pivoting and pivoting because you're following this process and success is a foregone conclusion. So you're a Forbes instructor. What, is that, <laughs> what does that mean? Well, so Forbes uh, is launching their online school of business and technology. Um, and they approached 30 entrepreneurs ranging from high execs at, you know, publicly traded Google size companies all the way down to uh, small serial entrepreneurs like myself. Um, and asked us to create courses. So they recruited me to rec uh, do an, an entrepreneurship course on starting companies and being a serial entrepreneur. And so um, I accepted because it's Forbes. <laughs> and I was proud to work with Forbes and um, create these courses. And they'll be coming out, I think, in May or June. Um, I've already filmed them. And I'm now an instructor for Forbes Online School of Business and Technology. So that's I have some courses with them. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was uh, truly an honor uh, to have been recruited by them. Um, you know, it's funny. And this goes into that. You got to have a vision thing. So last year, I would say it was 2019, middle of the summer. Um, I was pushed to kind of start building the personal brand. I've never really been a personal brand guy. I've always been a company guy. Like I, I don't really care to have anyone know who I am. I want them to know my company. That's why I always wear something of my companies and I'm like a walking billboard. Um, but my investors were like, Jeff, we really want you to get out there because it's 2019. And, you know, they gave me the best analogy, which was, do you know who the CEO of American Airlines is? And I was like, no. And they're like, do you know who the CEO of Southwest Airlines is? And I said, no. I said, do you know the CEO of Virgin? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, same thing. Do you know Toyota CEO? And I said, no. And he's like, do you know Fords? And I said, no. He said, do you know Tesla? I was like, yeah. He's like, you see what I'm trying to take you to? And I'm like, yeah, I get it. So you can get a lot of attention on your company by utilizing your personal brand. So I wrote down on a piece of paper in the summer, just on a piece of paper in my office, my goals for 2020. And one of them was to be featured on Forbes. And one of them was to be featured on uh, and, and do something big on the online learning space. Well, I was fortunate that I got recruited by Forbes just randomly. And then LinkedIn, LinkedIn Learning approached me to do courses for them. So I was able to achieve both those things. And I just wrote these down in the summer of 19. And I say that because it's important to put your goals down, um, goal setting. And it's another part of the success formula. But if you don't have goals, if you don't have targets, if you don't have a clear vision of what you want, you won't get there. You won't naturally do the little things, you know, subconsciously to, to get you there. So um, that's a lesson I'd like to share with people because I'm really pivoting now more into teaching and mentoring. And um, I mentor at the San Diego State's Lavin School of Entrepreneurship. Um, so I get to work with a lot of entrepreneurial students and 
you know, I'm a, I also am a mentee. I always believe in mentorship and coaching. I pay business coaches and I have mentors who coach, who provide me mentorship for free. And then I coach people as well. And I also provide mentorship for free. And I think it's important that everybody, I don't care who you are or how big you are. I don't care if you are uh, Zuckerberg, you should have mentors and you should have coaches. Um, LeBron James has a basketball coach. Tiger Woods has a golf coach. Tom Hanks has an acting coach. And uh, Justin Bieber has a singing coach. Um, it doesn't mean that they're better at what you do than you, but they'll hold you accountable. They'll be there as a resource for you to kind of articulate your thoughts, really be someone to, that's on your team that can open up their relationship capital, their situational expertise and knowledge, help you avoid paying the dummy tax, give you the cheat codes to success, force you to spell out what you're thinking in a way to someone who understands your journey. And the more you, like, I'll give you a great example. So one of my mentors, uh, his name's David Meltzer. I don't know if you guys, if you know him, but yeah, um, he was on the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. So David Meltzer is a lifelong mentor of mine. We're actually writing a book together. It'll be published in the summer. Um, Amazing, bro. Congrats. Yes. Thank you. It's really cool because he's been my mentor for 30 years. We've been family friends since I was five and he was in high school. Um, our moms were best friends and I interned at a bunch of his companies. He's actually where, you know, he was the CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports Agency. I was going to go work with him. Um, and as a 30, as over 30 years together as a mentor mentee, we're writing a book on the long game of mentorship and how important it is in, in business and in life. But when I call him sometimes with a business problem, sometimes he doesn't say a word to me, like literally not a word. I'll call him and he'll be like, Hey, what's going on? I'm dealing. And I'll say, Hey Dave, I'm dealing with this issue. I'll go on to like this four minute rant. And if you haven't noticed by listening to this podcast, I can just kind of talk and talk and talk. <laughs> um, but by the end of the four minutes, he might've thrown a few, uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. In there. But I'm like, Oh, thank you for listening. Now that I just said all that, I, my answers just came to me because I have confidence that he understands me and business and, and my journey to where I don't have to give him just the basics. Like I would tell my mom, like about what's going on in life or business. Like I can give him the details because he's on my team and having that person on your team whose only interest is to help you is so crucial. So mentorship and coaching is great. And, and that's why I'm so proud to be part of the Forbes family because um, I get to empower and help a whole bunch of other entrepreneurs. And I feel like entrepreneurs, we're a fraternity of men and women who are just trying to build our own brands and build companies and disrupt the world and change the world. And I'd love to do my part because I've, I've been given so much from those who have helped me and I want to pay it forward. And so the Forbes thing has been great. And if I can advocate everyone who's listening to make sure you have mentors and coaches. And the distinction is mentors are free and they're great. Paying someone as a coach is also important, even if it's a hundred dollars because you don't have money or you pay a big time, you know, guru coach. I don't care. You get to hold them more accountable. So the coaches that I pay, when I call them, I expect things. I expect them to open up doors for me. I expect them to answer my calls. I expect them to help me in ways that my mentors don't. And so I advise everyone: have a mentor, have a coach, and then you should be a mentor to people who are aspiring and are, are kind of not where you are yet, but want to get there. And if you ultimately have the time and you provide value, you should also be a coach. If I was in a crowd right now, there'd be a standing ovation. People would be hollering and hooting. I mean, there is so much that you just went on. You are a RAND professional, but that is just absolute gold. A couple things. Number one, Dave Meltzer is hilarious to me, especially how he has everything mapped out to the second. I'm like, you're the type of guy that, you know, times how long you brush your teeth. He's like, 100%. Absolutely. I'm like, that's the type of guy he is. What an awesome mentor. And that's so cool to see you guys connected and, and understand that relationship. Number one, your memory bank is incredible. 
the amount of things that you're able to pull from. I don't know if anyone told you that before, but you just are pulling these different experiences in and interrelating them and linking them up. It's, it's awesome. And it's great to watch and listen. Number two, you have a radio voice, which is awesome. Like you could totally rock the sports <laughs> analyst world. It's just, you got that like Bob Mennery, like, hello, welcome everybody. It's time to show. <laughs> Three, your communication level is just very effective. You're, effect, you're just good at communicating. I don't know if that's something you've, you're, you, you've developed over time. I'm assuming that's the case, but it, you're really good at just hammering down these, these big points. And lastly, just the experience that you're talking about is invaluable. I mean, coming from iChecks, using all of that to then fuel your future growth, being able to be coined the serial entrepreneur because you've been through the hardships, you've been through the ups and downs. You don't look at failure as a failure. You're all about trialing and testing and running A-B tests to the point where you eventually learn and grow. And you seem to just be all about the freaking people. Like you'd be a good representation of the entrepreneur, you know, <laughs> unit of the world. So let's talk about Everbowl real quick because I'm an Acai fanatic. That's an amazing company. You said you switched industries. Clearly you did. You went from the uh, fintech industry into the hospitality. Talk to me a little bit about Everbowl. How did it begin and, and what were those beginning days like? Sure. So uh, I had a, just just to fill in the one gap. So after Canopy, I had a handful of other companies. Some were successful, some were failures. Digital marketing agency. Uh, I had a, I was a, created a platform to help legalize equity-based crowdfunding. We did a capital raising company. I also had a recruiting agency. Um, and so after my digital marketing agency days, it was the end of 2015, I sold off my clients. Um, my partner, uh, Neil, went off to start his own agency. And um, I was kind of just driving my wife and kids crazy. Uh, I was kind of just sitting at home and reassessing what I wanted to do. I, I was at a point in life I didn't have to kill what I eat every day, so to speak. So um, I could really chase my passion. And outside of my family, my two biggest passions are health and wellness and in innovation, serial entrepreneurship, startups, essentially. So I looked at why are we killing ourselves in America? And I'm, what I mean by that is, is you look at the four prior to today's crazy coronavirus world. Uh, the four leading causes of death were heart disease, stroke, obesity, and cancer outside of car accidents in the United States. And those four things, if you look at them, over 80% of them are created by lifestyle choices, which means we either don't move our bodies properly or exercise in what we eat. Um, and I'm a bit of a hypochondriac and I'm afraid of disease. And so I'm like, hey, how can I help people stop killing themselves? Why are we killing ourselves eating fast food over 3.2 times a week on average? Why are we eating fast and fried food so often? Why is this all happening? And so I did some research and spoke to a bunch of people and identified the four main excuses people make as to why they don't eat healthy. And they are, it either costs too much to eat healthy, it doesn't taste good, it doesn't fill you up and leave you satisfied, or you just can't get it, accessibility. So I said, okay, so that's where fast food thrives, right? Fast food is affordable, filling, they make it taste good, and it's accessible. There's McDonald's on every street corner, you know, Carl's Jr., you name it. So I said, okay, so I built Everbowl, which is something I've been eating for years. This was 2016. So acai bowls weren't as popular. It was before the big craze, but I'd been importing them and eating superfoods in my house um, and my kids. And I was like, you know what? There's no one really doing this full focused Chipotle like style acai bowl superfood thing. There's Jamba Juice where you can order it behind the counter. You know, the, there was a uh, nectar was uh, was really not focusing on on superfood bowls at the time. They were doing juice. So they were the juice kings and queens out there and um, Smoothie King and all these companies that was doing smoothies and juices. But no one was really doing just bowls. And um, 
there was one competitor of mine, Vitality Bowls, which had had about seven or eight stores up in the North, uh, you know, Bay Area. Um, but they had a big menu between smoothies and juices and bowls and paninis and salads. I mean, it was like more of a cafe than it was just like Chipotle or In-N-Out, which is focused on like just doing one thing, but doing it excellent. Um, and so I said, okay, let's try Everbowl. So um, I was actually going for a smoothie in a Smoothie King in Poway, California in July 22nd of 2016. I wasn't even ready to open the store yet. I had no name. I had no menu. I was just kind of thinking, like going through the motions in my head, like, all right, you know, I'm going to do this soon. I don't know when, but I'm going to do it. And I walked in and I went to get a smoothie. Uh, I was visiting an old client of mine from my digital marketing company in Poway. And um, the gentleman who owned the Smoothie King was there and he was literally putting things in his van like wall treatments, like that. How did you know, pictures. how did you know he was there? Did you just happen to ask or how did that? No, I went in, no, he was the only person there. I went in to get a smoothie and literally the guy who was working there is the owner. He was this older guy and he was literally walking things from the store into his car, into his van. And I'm like, what are you doing? Are you guys closed? And he's like, we're closing Friday. Um, this is my last week. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? And he's like, oh, I'm retiring. I own this spot for 20 years as a franchisee of Smoothie King. And um, I tried selling the business, but no one wanted to buy it. I think I asked for too much, but I'm retiring at the end of the week. I'm like, so that's it. No more Smoothie King. He's like, nope, no more Smoothie King. I'm like, well, what's coming here? He's like, I have no idea. I was like, do you mind giving me the landlord's number? He's like, sure. So he gave me the landlord's number. I called her. Her name was Carol. I spoke to her on July 22nd. I said, what's coming here? She said, nothing yet. And I'm like, I want it. We agreed. August 2nd, I signed the lease. And then I was like, okay, shit, now I better figure out what I'm going to sell and what the name's going to be and what it's going to look like and how it's going to go. And so um, that's kind of how it happened. So, so you August get, 2nd, 2016, I, I signed a lease and October 15th, 2016, I opened. So you basically, you signed the lease and by doing that, it's almost like you're signing your commitment. You're signing your commitment to this new idea. You don't have everything figured out, but you're thinking about it just in a step-by-step -step process. All right, step one, get a building. Step two, build a menu. And that's the right. way you kind of start seeing things. Not to, you don't overwhelm yourself by thinking a bajillion things at once. You're like, I need to have something that I have skin in the game. And once you have skin in the game, you find a way to make it work. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, if I threw you in the pool and you weren't wearing a bathing suit and you were in all your clothes, you'd still swim to the side, right? So it's kind of like that. It was like, let's just jump in. Um, I knew the location was good because if a Smoothie King survived for 20 years, worst case, I could sell smoothies. And I mean, he seemed to be doing okay, right? So um, I had a built-in customer base who already knew the location for smoothies, which means they're already health focused. They're already health centric. Um, it was great real estate right in a Sprout Center, right on the busy road of Poway community. So I liked the, lo the location. Um, it wasn't near my house, but and I don't know anything about restaurants. You know, it's funny when I, when I, uh, when I told my, my mom and dad, I mean, so I think experience is the most overrated prerequisite to starting a company. Let me just get that out there for everyone who's listening. Um, I can't stress that enough. I have never had, like, when I started my digital marketing agency, I barely knew how to use a computer. When I started my restaurants, I don't know anything about cooking. Um, I own a construction company now called WeBuild, where we build our own Everbowls. I don't know how to use tools. Like if you ask me to put together a Lego set, um, <laughs> I'm going to need some super glue and scotch tape because I'm probably going to need that to figure it out. So I don't think experience is needed. It goes back to recruiting people. Um, so I just know that as a startup entrepreneur, I'm good at starting the company. And so I need to get started. And the only way to get started is to do something drastic, right? If you kind of always have one foot in one foot out and you always have a B plan, you're never going to get there. You're going to get beaten by people like me who are going to go all in. And that's the first part of the success formula is going all in. My company was going to be called Thrive Bulls. 
Um, that was the idea I had when I, when I was like, oh, okay, I'll call it Thrive Bulls when I signed the lease. It's not called Thrive Bulls. That name sucked. Um, I don't know anything about, about what I was doing, but there's so much information out there. It's never been easier to learn, right? Between YouTube and Google and online learnings and coaches and mentors and access to information in your pocket 24 seven. It has never been easier to learn anything you ever want to learn. So all the things that people are holding back from moving forward and starting their company or creating that new thing that they're thinking about, Oh, I don't know how to do this yet. So what commit to it. Once you commit to it, you'll learn how to do it. Once you learn how to do it, you'll thrive. So, um, exactly. I had to get started. I signed a lease that put me on the hook for five years at four grand a month. So it was a pretty, you know, it wasn't a huge commitment, but it was a commitment. I, I was a five-year lease. I personally guaranteed it. And now I got to spend four grand a month on this piece of real estate. So I better do something with it. Your name game is on point. We build what a, <laughs> that's a gangster name. And then the Everbull, fantastic name. And then you Thank got you. this super fuel coffee. So is that, what's yes. the deal with that? So super fuel coffee is the world's first acai infused coffee line. So I import my own superfoods for Everbull. And um, one of the challenges of running a brick and mortar retails QSR space is I have to get you to come in the store. Uh, so that's not always great because I'm sure some of your audience who's listening in New York right now, well, there's no Everbowl near them. So I'm missing out on an opportunity to start a relationship with potential customers and build the Everbowl community, right? So um, it started with our why. So going back to Everbowl really quick, and then I'll get to Superfuel. Um, I always believe you have to have a why. The why has to be more important than the what. So for me, my why is unevolved. Uh, it's a word I created and trademarked. It didn't exist before. It's singular. And it simply means to move and eat the way you were meant to, live actively, and eat stuff that's been around forever. Basic, basic ways to live your life. Unevolve your lifestyle because technology is great in so many areas, but it's bad for health because it means we don't move our bodies anymore and we eat laboratory-created food. We eat fast and fried food, but we don't eat real food. And so if you think about your body like your car, you only put real gasoline in your car. You should only put real food in your body. Whether you're a vegetarian or a pescatarian or you eat meat and you do paleo, it doesn't matter. As long as you're eating real food, meat, animal, uh, animal products, nuts, seeds, grains, fruits, vegetables, legumes, things that are from nature, your body knows how to use them. And there won't be any uh, inflammation happening once you consume it. There won't be this, this foreign substance being in, ingested into your body. But when you eat yellow five or red seven or these chemicals that are in Skittles and, and all these preservatives that are in foods now, um, your body doesn't know what to do with it. Those, are, those aren't real foods. And so that creates inflammation. That creates disease. That creates all the things that are plaguing us. So I strive to help promote an unevolved lifestyle. Live actively, move your body, and eat stuff that's been around forever. Everbull's tagline is made from stuff that's been around forever. So Everbull's meant to solve the eating side of unevolved. Um, unevolved is on the front of every single one of my employees' t-shirts in the store. Everbull's on the back because I'm a team sports guy, and I believe Everbull's on team unevolved. So if you want to go to my competitors, cool. I don't care. As long as they, they are an unevolved brand that are providing real food that's made from stuff that's been around forever, go there. Do that and be your best self. And then move your body. And so Superfuel Coffee was a way for me to promote Unevolve and connect with the fact that I'm building this personal brand and I'm doing podcasts and I'm speaking at events and I'm an uh, instructor and I'm, I'm coaching and mentoring. I want people to get in involved with us. I want you to try Everball. I want you to be a part of our family and help join and promote the Unevolve lifestyle. And the way to do that is through coffee, right? Because besides superfoods, I drink a lot of coffee and so does a lot of people. And so my unique selling proposition with Superfuel is you drink coffee every day, but you don't always eat superfoods. Why not drink superfoods with your coffee? 
and we infuse superfoods with coffee and that's what superfuel coffee is and you can get it on amazon.com you can get it on our website um, or superfuelcoffee.com um, and it tastes really good and you're getting the antioxidants and the health benefits of superfoods with your coffee and why you should choose ours is because I'm the superfood guy. I started a chain of superfood restaurants. I have 30 plus units and we're going to be nationwide soon. And we pride ourselves on importing and sourcing the best superfoods there are. And um, you could be part of the unevolved lifestyle and give it a try and let me know what you think about it. And if you don't like it, I'll refund you. So you have no risk. But by doing that, you're going to be better off. You're going to get more health and wellness into your daily routine without changing your habits. It also lets me leverage my past experience of digital marketing because I can geo-target locations before I open stores by promoting the Superfuel Coffee product. It's shelf-stable. Um, again, you can buy it on Amazon, so I can really geo-target through social media and introduce people to Everbull in the way I want to introduce them to it long before there's an Everbull retail location there. Damn, dude. You're a Navy SEAL in this game of <laughs> coordination with all of this stuff. I need to get that, that coffee, so we're going to post you that do. in the show notes. Um, I'm going to personally order it as soon as we get off this. But Thank let's you. put it in the show notes and everyone that's listening, give it a try and let us know what you think about that because smart coffees are definitely in. And I love the idea. If I can get my nutrients with my coffees, all in, game, set, match. Yes. But like all and this stuff, sorry, one thing, you, you connect all these things. You connect all of these different aspects of your life. Like you've been able to figure out a way to merge these completely separate industries under one roof, which is just very unique. And that is you're decluttering a very complicated system. So you are very good with systems and processes. <laughs> I know you mentioned that that's not your thing, but it sounds like a little bit of your thing. I'm good at the vision side, not, not at the day-to-day minutiae operation side of, of like, okay, we need to build a repeatable process like we build, right? So I built my first Everbull and it cost me a quarter of a million dollars to build. And I'm like, how am I going to build 50 of these if it costs me a quarter of a million dollars every single time? So, and why does it cost so much money? And so I created a challenge to myself and I recruited some people to join me. And I said, okay, Ikea built furniture that comes in a box and it's a dining room set. Why can't I build a restaurant in a box? And why can't I scale this thing? So we build, we build stuff is the name, one word we build and then stuff. Um, and we build Everbulls. And that's really what I sought out to do is to build my own stores. And we've reduced the cost of our stores from $250,000 to $50,000. And that now allows us to franchise. So I can offer the cheapest franchise in the world in, in my space, my competitors will, it'll cost you a quarter of a million dollars to open one of my competitors franchises. And it'll cost you uh, around 75 to $120,000 to build an Everbull. So are you talking to like straight up the walls, the windows, the whole Everything. thing, the whole nine yards. So as long like, as you have the land, you're straight. As long as you have a lease. So we'll help you get a lease. You get a lease. I'll turn it into an Everbull. We'll get you open for 50 grand. For yeah. Oh yeah. Damn. Yep. Dude. Yeah. I mean, it's an assembly line. It's a machine. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of that we've accomplished because um, it's one of the hardest things. It's what makes restaurants like, so it's funny when I, when I told my parents and my wife and stuff, Hey, I'm going to open a restaurant. Everyone's like nine out of 10 restaurants fail. You don't know anything about restaurants. I'm like, you're right. That's a good thing. Because if I did things the way everyone else does it, 90% of the time I'd fail <laughs> because they're all doing it the same way, which is broken. You need to come in with fresh eyes and disrupt it. It costs so much money to open a restaurant that you'd sink all this capital into this location. But what if it's a bad location? What if the community doesn't adopt it right away? What if you have a long runway? You just burned all this cash. So my goal is reduce all of that, to spend as little as possible to get open. And that gives us the longest runway to build a brand. And then from there, we're able to, um, to go. Boom. So 
you're mainly in the in SoCal area. We're in no, we're in uh, San Francisco, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Southern California. Today, we're going into Nevada, and then we just signed a 20-unit franchise deal with a group out of Utah, which is going to take us to Utah, um, more Nevada, and Oregon. And then we're in discussion with franchisees all across the country who are interested in joining the family because uh, we have over 500 requests. And anyone who's interested, please go to everbull.com and click franchise and uh, fill out the information. We can start the conversation and um, we're excited to really blow this thing up now. What's the big, what's the big mission now? My, my question here is, so you're running all these things. You got these systems in place. You have a family. I mean, I like for me personally, I just launched a business network podcasting. It's an online podcasting course, teaching you an A to Z course on how to build a podcast and, you know, got the website up and running. And I'm still learning. I'm still a younger entrepreneur. I'm 27 years old. It's one of my uh, more su- first successful business ventures that I've done personally. And you know, it takes a ton. Thank you. I'm excited. It takes a ton of my time, right? And it's just constantly one, two, three, four, five things. So when I see you and I see you running huge organizations, five, six different organizations, sort of like an Elon Musk type deal, I'm thinking to myself, well, God damn, this dude has, <laughs> this dude has some compartments that he's able to put some stuff in. How are you able to run your life and effectively manage all these pieces while still having a family life and not losing your mind? That's not easy. Uh, it's, it's definitely, there's always give and take and certain areas get, unfortunately, don't get as much attention as they need to on certain days. But, um, you know, it's a constant struggle and, and I try every day to do it. I mean, I wake up early. I don't sleep much. Um, you know, I'm up at about four, four thirty every day. And I use a couple hours before the family wakes up as time to get a lot of the stuff done that, that I need to get done. And then I can have breakfast with my daughter and then hit the day. Um, so I have two daughters, 14 and eight, the 14 year old doesn't need as much of my time as my eight year old does. But, um, but you know what, it's, it's, it's just that journey, right? You, whatever is pressing gets, gets my, my focus and effort. And I go hard. I mean, the key is no wasted time. I think the, the number one thing that I'm, honing in on on my own development as I get better at juggling is you got to be very diligent and very specific with your use of time and understand that that so much time is wasted that creates this feeling like no one has enough time and if you really utilize your time better then you can do it and so you know when I'm driving the car I'm not listening to entertainment music I'm doing my my conference calls because I drive I have to drive a lot so I I utilize that or I'm listening to podcasts and I'm, I'm learning right so I'm either learning or I'm speaking, but I'm not, yes, I, I like listening to music. I like listening to sports radio, but it's just, I, that's entertainment. And my time for entertainment at this point in my life is, is not really much. Um, I choose to, to build right now. I'm building, I'm building and I'm developing my, my own personal uh, growth and my family. And so it's sacrifices that you got to make. I don't go to bars and clubs and, you know, a right. lot of my friends will tell you, Hey, you're not really the greatest friend these days because you're not hanging out as much, but it's true. Um, I, I take accountability for that and, and I'm there for them if they need me, but my priorities are my family and my business right now. And, and that's just where my priorities are. And, mm. and I have to commit to it and I can't be shitty to everybody. So I'd rather be great at a few things and, and the rest of them, my friends understand me and those who love me and care about me know that it's not in, it's not through bad intent. Um, I'll be there again, but right now I'm in the grind. You know, as you said, I have a lot going and there's times when I don't, and when I don't, I give them all of me but you got to put all of yourself into it. So if you have a family, you've got to give your family, that's the priority, but you got to find also your business as a priority because hard work is the number one secret to success. It is the only thing I can tell you that people lose, but it's like, there's no elevator. Like everyone's like, Oh, what's the secret? Hard work. And I'm not kidding. It's literally hard work. I mean, 
when I opened the first ever bowl, I didn't leave the store from October of 2016 till March of 2017. I was there seven days a week, 12 plus hours a day. That's what it took. My family had to understand it. They came to see me after school. They came to see me on weekends. I missed a lot of things, but that's what it took. From there, I built process. I put people in place and now I'm, I don't have to be there. Um, I can do other things, but it took that dedication and that sacrifice. And so it's all about hard work and, and just understanding that I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes every day, but I'm going to learn and, and get better. Dude, your attitude is fantastic. If you could just clone you, <laughs> man, you would create an absolute army. And now you're like, all right, next thing you know, Jeff Fencer gets into cloning. <laughs> man, yeah, I, I'm open to it. If anyone wants to start a cloning company, let's do it. But dude, I like that you just mentioned that you pick your buckets and you go in on them. I mean, you can't be great at every single one thing. You are just human. And at certain stages in life, you've dedicated at different things. You maybe 10 years down the road when you've built and built and built, you're going to get to a point where you're like, you know what, this is a new season of my life. You know, it's community and, and I'm going to do that. Uh, but for now, you're in the grind, you're in the trenches, you're in the build. And you know what? You find enjoyment out of that. You enjoy that grind. Like, you wouldn't do it if you didn't find any enjoyment out of it. You like pushing yourself. You like going. You have your health. You have this big mission. And it's your baby. You treat it like you're a business. And your reputation's on the line. And your, your, your story at 24 years old shows that deep down in you, you got that ego. That ego wants to win. You don't want to be yes. told you can't do something. And it's driving you to make moves and making you unstoppable. But well, I think you just hit on something very important um, is if you don't love what you're doing, if it feels like work, like that's the thing, like the hard work thing. I like it. It's one of the things that maybe me and my wife get into little, little tips about where she gets upset because I'm working too much. But the truth is I lose track of time because I love what I'm doing so much. Just like I love when I'm hanging out with my family so much. I don't look at the clock. I'm not clock watching. I'm like, oh, thank God it's five o'clock. I get to go home. Oh, thank God it's Friday. I don't have to do this. Like, that just never enters my brain. Like I don't care what day of the week it is. If I'm not with my family, I want to build my business because I love it so much. So if you don't love what you're doing, it will be too much work and you will lose to people who love what they're doing. So find what you love and go for it because then it's not work. Whatever it is, I don't care if it's piano teaching or gardening or starting a business or podcasting or acting or singing, it doesn't matter. If you love it that much, you can devote that much of your, you into it and you will be successful. Jeff, if you could look back at all these experiences and you're, you talked to that dude that's 23, 24 years old and you could have said to him now looking back before you started Unevolve and you did all these things, and you could have told him, listen, one, two, or three things that would have saved you a ton of time, money, headache, heartache. And you know, obviously a fantastic you know, answer to this would just be like, I wouldn't have said anything because it's made me who I am today. But like, if you had to say one, two, or three principles that the 24-year-old you, if he, sucked, if he like, ingested those principles, it would have just you know, spat out a whole new version, what would you tell yourself? Well, the first one is I would have lost the ego earlier. Um, it took me a while to do that in the sense that I used to be a control, like with iChex and Canopy. And then after that with um, Equity Circle and JFN Recruiting, I was really focused on controlling every aspect, telling people how to do things. And I pushed away some really talented people that had I not done that, um, I think those companies would have been even better than they were. And then I, I got to that moment when I was like, why does this same thing, why do I keep losing such great people? And I was looking in the mirror and I realized, ah, that's the answer, person in the mirror. Um, I was the common denominator across multiple companies and I made a pivot and changed. And, you know, that's when, you know, I, uh, my recruiting agency and, and my digital marketing company after that and 
uh, I was able to recruit incredible people and build my relationship capital so much more because I, I lost the ego. So um, that was the, that would be the first one. And then the second one is one of my other core principles, which is Kaizen to get 1% better every day. Uh, my younger self, I always had this feeling like I wasn't where I wanted to be. And it was like standing in the way and I was killing myself to get better and better and better. And I was not looking at it that if I just get 1% better every day, um, I'm going to be unstoppable in, in a year, right? Because of the exponential growth factor. Uh, I didn't really understand that. And so I was always kind of like trying to do too much too fast and not focusing on the, on the little things that I needed to improve on. Um, but then once I grasped Kaizen and once I understood, just get 1% better every single day, that's it. It's so obtainable. It's a micro goal that if you focus on that micro goal and you do that, I promise you, you'll look back in a year and go, wow, look how far we, I, the company has, has come. And, and if I could go back and tell myself those two things earlier, um, I'd be further than I am now on my journey. There it is, man. And if I, I know your time's super valuable and this has just been an absolute hour of, of straight waka faka flames. I, I personally could talk to you about this stuff forever. And, and we just scraped the surface of some of this stuff. I mean, your, your Forbes instructor brain and your teaching, <laughs> you have so much you want to share and give that I can really see a big online training company coming out of you in the, in the long-term future, especially when you want to take everything you've learned and put it onto paper. But if there is one thing you could leave the audience with that is right on the fence of jumping into entrepreneurship for the first time, maybe they have an idea that's been, you know, they've been sniffing, but they just haven't pulled the trigger because of many different reasons. What would be that one thing you would say to them to kind of push them over? So I would say, again, experience is the most overrated prerequisite to starting your company. You've just got to start it. Uh, there's, there is no failure. Like failing is like, if you say that word out loud, that's fine. Go fail, fail fast. I would say go fail tomorrow. Fail every single day as often as you can. Um, the more you fail, the more you learn. As long as you're learning from it and, and utilizing that to get better, you're going to be unstoppable. And stop looking at that this that one idea. Like every idea I've ever had was the best idea I ever had. Um, it doesn't matter. You're going to have another one tomorrow. Get out there and try it. Go for it. Leverage relationships. Reach out. You can always learn. You can always find people to help. I'm a resource. Reach out to me. I'm happy to help you guys. Um, you don't have to pay me. It's free. I'm happy to mentor you. If you want me to, if you want to pay me, I always take money, but um, you don't have to. Uh, there's more people out there like me. If you don't like my view, there's find someone who, who is aligned with kind of the goals that you're after leverage situational knowledge and go for it because entrepreneurship for those of us who have the disease and, and are not meant to work, you know, in big companies and do that life journey of spending your entire career at a company. Um, this is all we've got and we're a fraternity and together We'll all get through it. And, and don't be afraid of competition. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to help my competitors. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And um, have, don't, don't come at it from a, a fear point or a, a spot of, of, of scared that if someone else is doing it, so what? You can do it too. And if someone joins and steals your idea, great. Together, there's, you know, Coke and Pepsi are both great companies. And they both sell pretty much the same thing. So it doesn't really matter. Just go do it. Be your best self and, and get 1% better every day. There it is. Jeff Fenster's in the house. He's dropping nuggets. How can people continue to follow your journey, follow your brand and follow the Everbowl and the life? So either everbowl.com or jefffenster.com and then social media at Everbowl Craft Superfood or at Fenster Jeff. And I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, um, or you can email me connect at jefffenster.com. And I'm happy to talk to anybody about anything. There it is. The man, the myth, the legend. We got to do round two in the future because this is fantastic. I would love to. I'll come I would down love to San Diego. To. We'll do it in person. It'll be awesome.
That sounds like a, that's lock it in. We'll do it. All right, man. Hey, we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time, peace.